Well, as has been mentioned, this is Right to Life weekend, and uh, that provides for us an annual opportunity to restate our stance of being unashamedly pro-life in this church, meaning that we believe that human life begins at conception and that legalized abortion on demand is a national travesty and tragedy. And that we who were blessed to make it into this world alive should speak up for the unborn babies who have no voice of their own with which to advocate for themselves. It's interesting, on the calendar, Right to Life weekend follows right on the heels of Martin Luther, the Martin Luther King holiday. And something I didn't know and I was surprised to find out is that Martin Luther King's niece has for decades been a champion of civil rights for the unborn. Her name is Dr. Alveda King, and uh, she came of age during the height of the civil rights movement in our country back in the 60s, and she had firsthand experience of the volatility of that era. She saw her family home in Birmingham destroyed by a bomb, as well as her father's office at the church where he served. He was a minister. She even spent some time in jail as a result of her advocating for civil rights for black folks. Later on in her life, Alveda became a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, and she began to see the pro-life movement as a continuation of the civil rights struggle as she came to realize that if ever there was a group of people who needed someone to speak up for them, it was the unborn. And so she began to go around and share her own story, which included having had two abortions herself, but then finding God's forgiveness and healing through Jesus Christ. She started Alveda King Ministries for that purpose, and she became a spokesperson for the Silent No More campaign, through which Christians work to increase public awareness of the devastation of abortion and also bring healing to women whose lives and whose spirits and whose bodies in some cases have been damaged by abortion. And in sharing her own story, Alveda King says this, I pray often for deliverance from the pain caused by my decision to abort my baby. And truly for me and for countless abortive mothers, nothing on earth can fully restore what has been lost, only Jesus can. Now, this gal has some, some moxie, some pizzazz. She goes on to say this, It's time for America, perhaps the most blessed nation on earth, to lead the world in repentance and in restoration of life. The only healing and redemption is in the blood of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we must humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, and then God will hear from heaven and heal our land. I can only beseech the powers that be to hearken to the voice of the Lord and remember that human life is sacred. This is the day to choose life. We must live and allow our babies to live. And then she said this, I too, like my uncle, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., have a dream. I have a dream that the men and women of America will come to our senses and humble ourselves before God Almighty and pray for mercy and receive His healing grace. And I say, Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thank God for all in people like this woman, Dr. Alveda King, and I say may her tribe increase. May God raise up more like her. Well, let me pray for us before we uh, look into the word this morning.
And our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the wonderful gift of life. Even this day, Lord, we wake up and say thank you for another day to live and to serve you. I would ask now that you would take this message and the words off the printed page of your word and apply them through your spirit to each person individually and each heart. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And uh, if you haven't yet taken the study guide out of your worship folder, go ahead and do that so you can track with me today. We're going to dive a little deeper today into what it means to be a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ, to be all in with Jesus, and as we said last week, all in with His church. Some of you have told me that you've appreciated this emphasis right out of the chute in a brand new year, that it's helped to realign your heart around the things that matter most in life. And I'm truly hoping that you'll have that, those same positive, warm feelings about this series at the conclusion of this sermon today, because I felt prompted to bring this theme, this, this all-in-with-Jesus theme, right down into an area of our lives that we often want to keep in a separate box, off-limits to prying eyes and especially nosy preachers. You guessed it, your finances. Your finances, how you think about money, how you spend the money that you earn, and particularly I'm going to be talking about your giving, your, your motivation and method for giving financially to the Lord through His church. So let the squirming begin. <laughs> it really is interesting to be up here and, and watch people when they realize that the sermon's going to be about money. Some of you are already starting to fidget a little bit in your seat. Some of you are thinking, I, may, I, maybe I need to go use the restroom or go take a smoke break or go get my nails done or anything to get out of this room right now. And let's just be honest, this topic makes a lot of people cringe, doesn't it? Especially when it's talked about in church. And, and if this is your first time here or maybe you've been coming for a few weeks, you might be thinking, all right, here we go. Here's the, the, the money talk, here's where the pastor applies the full court press to the people and we're not going to get out of here until our wallets are completely empty. <laughs> or maybe you're thinking, why can't you just stick to teaching us about Jesus and the Bible and, and God and stuff? And uh, I would say, well, that's just it. The Bible is full of instruction about money and, and giving and generosity and it constantly intertwines the spiritual with the financial. Did you know that? Sometimes we want to compartmentalize our lives and put you know, our spiritual life in this box over here and then our, our money and our finances in this other box over here. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible puts them together. In fact, it contends that our financial lives are a barometer of our spiritual lives, our hearts. In fact, did you know this, that Jesus spoke more about Money and handling money than he did about heaven and hell combined? He was always talking about this topic. And so I realized that to preach a series about being all in with Jesus without talking about our money and our financial priorities and our generosity would really be doing a great disservice to the topic. 
And so here's my thesis for today. Being all in with Jesus means living out his generous life. His life of generosity that he has put within us. Just teach us the Bible, Pastor. Okay, here we go. From the Old Testament and the New Testament, listen to the Word of God. From Exodus 35, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution of gold and silver and bronze. That was Exodus. A little bit later in Leviticus 23, it says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, for I am the Lord your God. Psalm 37, 21 says, The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. That's Proverbs 11.25. In a few weeks, we'll be starting um, our look, our study into the book of Acts in the New Testament, and we'll get a picture of that first early community of believers. And here's a description of them from Acts 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Excuse me. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. How about this quote from Acts twenty thirty five? And the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to, to receive. That's right. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 8, Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. In 1 Timothy 6.17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And so God's people are called to live this way. We are called to live generously. They always have been. That's the clear and consistent message of the Bible, of the scriptures. Well, I got to thinking about this, and I got to thinking about all the various motivations that people have for giving to the Lord, and all the various incentives that pastors use sometimes to try to get people to, to be generous and to give, and there's a lot. And I made a list, and you have it there. I want you to think about this. Some people give out of fear, right? Man, if I don't give, God's going God's to get his due somehow, probably by taking it out of my hide. So 
I don't want that. So, so yeah, I'll go ahead and give something. Fear is sometimes a motivation. Guilt is another. Man, if I don't give, I, I know I'm going to feel bad. My conscience is going to bother me, and I, I hate that. So I, I guess I'll give. Some give out of obedience. They've been taught. They're supposed to give. That's what good Christians do. So they give because it's their duty, their obligation. Some want to increase their faith. They think, well, I want to grow spiritually. I know giving is part of that, especially in order to grow my faith. So I'll give for that reason. Uh, there are people who give out of what is called altruism. They they know there are lots of needs out there, and they feel good when they're giving to meet those needs, and so that's why they give. There are people who give to vision, vision, and they say, you know, paint, paint a picture for me, Pastor. Paint a, a big, compelling vision of what God's going to do in our city, and, and if the vision's big enough and compelling enough, and if you pull on my heartstrings enough, then I'll give because I give to vision. Some people give out of joy. They just love the feeling of joy that they get in their hearts when, when they're generous and they bless other people. Some understand biblical stewardship, and they realize that they've been entrusted with everything that they have, and so they know they're going to give account of it one day to their master. And so they give knowing that's what good stewards do and out of a desire to please their master. Some have this understanding of covenant, that they realize they're part of a covenant community of believers and they feel responsible for the well-being of their brothers and sisters, and so they give to preserve the health of the church and the folks they're in covenant with. Other people realize that there's a spiritual law at work in the universe called the law of sowing and reaping, and they're thinking, if I give, I'm going to get, <laughs> and I like that, and that's why they give. Some give out of gratefulness, they understand they've been given so much by God and they want to give back to Him out of a thankful heart. Some give out of love. Giving time, giving money is an expression of their heart and their heart is committed to that which is best for others and so they give out of love and some give out of a desire to receive a future reward. They've been taught that Jesus said, lay up treasure where? In heaven, up there. And so they give because they believe that one day in heaven they'll receive dividends, a great return on their heavenly investments. Lots of different motivations. Some of them, I suppose, could be called upper-tier motivations. Others we would probably classify as more lower-tier. But I, I wonder which of these reflect your thoughts these days about giving to the Lord, giving to God's work. And if it's true that being all in with Christ means living out His generous life, as I'm contending today, well, what does that look like? What does all-in generosity look like? And, and do our motives really matter that much? And how much should we give? I mean, that's a big question. And does the Bible give us any help on this? And so, I'd like to expound on this a little bit today, and, and I'd like to identify several biblical characteristics of this kind of generosity, this all-in kind of generosity, to help guide us today. 
Some of this, if you've been in church for a while, might seem kind of elementary to you. But the longer I'm in ministry, the more people I meet who were not taught this growing up. And so I, I wanted all of us to have this today. So characteristics of all-in generosity, number one, humble and grateful. Humble and grateful, words that describe the, the heart attitude that Jesus wants to see in his people. I think the scriptures are on your outline there. I'd like you to read these two scriptures aloud with me, if you would. Ready? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Here we go. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Freely you have received, freely give. In other words... Followers of Christ who want to be all in with him understand this, that everything they have came from God. What do you have that you didn't receive? They understand that their health came from God, their natural abilities, their family, their home, their job, their ability to even earn an income comes from God Almighty. Their possessions, in fact, their very life. Like I said in that prayer, we needed to have gotten up this morning and basically said, Lord, thank you for another day to be alive and to serve you. It's a gift from your hand. What do you have that you didn't receive? All of these are gifts given to us from a very generous God in heaven. Really, this is the foundation of true Christian giving, true Christian generosity, humbly acknowledging God's gracious provision of everything that we have. And I believe a robust understanding of this truth will loosen your grip on money and possessions like nothing else. Look, it all came from God. It all belongs to God. Everything I have, if he wants to use it to support his church, if he wants to use it to bless needy people, then that's fine with me. Freely I have received, freely I will give. And I just want to remind you that theologically speaking today, you are receiving way more from the hand of God than what you deserve. Do not buy into the lie of our culture that you're entitled to everything. That's based on a lie. And if you believe that, you'll just end up stoking the fires of envy in your soul. And you'll live an unhappy life. The gospel truth is that I am so blessed today because I did not wake up in hell. And it's a good day as a result of that. Because that is what I deserve for my many sins. To experience the wrath of God today. And I woke up and I'm living in grace. That's the key to having a joyful, thankful life. Amen? Amen. Speaking of joy, here's a second correct characteristic. Notice I put two together under one sermon point. That's a pastor's tactic to make the sermon seem shorter. Number two, joyful and eager. All-in generosity comes from a heart that is joyful and eager. And here we go to 1 Corinthians 8, or I think it's 2 Corinthians 8 actually, where Paul was writing to a group of churches. And here's what he said. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So a grouping of churches there. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty 
have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly, underline that, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So here was a a network of churches, an association of related churches living in a depressed area during lean times. Finances were tight, people didn't have much, and here we see the Apostle Paul holding them up as an example of all-in generosity in hopes of inspiring other people. And here's what he says about them. He says, despite their poverty, they gave generously to the collection that Paul was taking up for some other brothers and sisters who lived in another area, another region. And Paul says what made this so remarkable is that they did so with great eagerness and joy. It says, they begged us earnestly to take part. (laughs) So here are these believers saying, hey, Paul, don't, don't bypass us. Just because we don't have much, make sure you come by and get our offering. We don't want to miss out on the blessing of giving. It brings our hearts great joy to know that we can have a part in encouraging our brothers and sisters. Don't don't miss us, Paul. I thought about this, and, and you know what's inspiring to me when I think about it? Kind of convicting, too. It's, it's realizing this. Some of the most generous people in our congregation are single mothers. I mean, I see this again and again. I'm amazed. We'll put out a plea for help or, or you know, there, there's a need and we, we put the word out. And some of the first to respond are always single moms who often, are, you know, don't have a whole lot to get by on themselves. And yet they're so eager to serve and so ready to give. And what an example that is to the rest of us, isn't it? And what a challenge that is. Thank God for people who get it. So joyful and eager. Point three, thoughtful and cheerful. These two are attitudes of all-in generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. I read it earlier. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. That's the thoughtful part. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Some of you know that the original Greek word that's translated cheerful here in English is the Greek word hilasterion, from which we get our English word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. And I was preaching on this once, and uh, we had a deaf interpreter down here. And uh, when, I, when I said this word, the deaf interpreter made the hand sign, and this was it. And that's the picture of a guy on his back laughing so hard that he's kicking his feet in the air. That's cheerful. Wouldn't you agree? God loves a cheerful giver. But have you ever thought about why God loves a cheerful giver? giver? I think I know. I think it's because that attitude in giving reflects God's own attitude. God is a cheerful giver. 
That's why he loves cheerfulness in our giving. It delights the heart of our Father to know when to give good gifts to his children. Day after day, week after week. It does seem a bit irreverent to me to imagine God laying on his back up in heaven, kicking his legs in glee, sheer delight over his own generosity in sending his son for us. But maybe I need to adjust my mindset of what God's like. He loves being generous. And he loves seeing that in his kids. Well, what's the opposite of cheerful giving? It tells us, doesn't it? It would be to give reluctantly or under compulsion. That's when people give because they feel pressured to give or feel forced to give, or manipulated into it, or they see it as just this ritual or obligation they're supposed to do. Okay, okay, pastor, I'll relieve my conscience by throwing a 10 spot into the bag as it goes by. I suppose that kind of giving, giving could technically be categorized as behavioral compliance, <laughs> but it's far from reflecting the generous heart of God, the cheerful, generous heart of God. And I'd say if that's where you're at these days, you, you kind of have this idea of being obligated and it's your duty and I, I got to do it, then I, I encourage you to ask God to change your heart, to melt your heart under His grace. I think the Lord would love to give you that as a gift. And then notice it said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Do you see that? That tells us that this kind of giving has some thought behind it. There's some consideration going into this. And that goes along with the next point, number four, which is planned and proportionate giving. Planned and proportionate. 1 Corinthians 16 Paul wrote this, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the very first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now we understand that this is about that collection that Paul was taking up for those struggling believers in Jerusalem, but I do believe it provides for us a biblical precedent or pattern to, to guide us in our, in our own giving. It tells us that we're not to be haphazard about this, or sporadic, or infrequent, but, but there should be a plan, right? On the first day of the week, put something aside. It's to be planned, considered, thought about, taken seriously, regular. And notice the amount is to be in proportion to how God has blessed you. It says, let each of you put away something or put something aside as he may prosper, or like the NIV says, as God has prospered him. And so Paul was not mandating a specific amount that each person was to give, but rather he was calling for everybody to spend some time considering how God had blessed them and to then make a decision about the size of their gift, likely a percentage of their income as God has prospered you. And so this is a biblical precedent that Christians for centuries have followed. Many people who grew up in Christian homes and 
Christian churches were taught the practice of tithing, which is to give the first 10% of your income back to God through your local church and learn to live on the remaining 90% or less. I was taught that growing up, and I'm so glad that I was. My wife, Shirley, was taught that in her home growing up as well, and so this has been a spiritual habit for us for years and years that's been a blessing to us. Uh, We feel blessed to have been able to support God's wonderful work here in this church for all of these years through our tithes, giving back to the Lord. And the ministry of this church, as you know, extends beyond our church into our community and into our city and through our missionaries all around the world. So I'm, I'm a fan of giving a tithe. And I know, I know, I know, okay? People can turn it into a legalistic thing. People can turn it into this mindless ritual. They just go through the motions of doing. People can turn it into this transaction where they're thinking, you know, if I give God 10%, then he's going to, you know, he's obligated to do something for me in return. Listen, I don't recommend any of those mindsets. Point is that people who want to be all in with Christ should give this some thought, some serious thought and prayer, and then come to a conclusion and make a decision about what you believe the Lord would have you to give. And really, it's a matter of the heart, right? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So your heart follows your treasure. Your heart follows your investment. If you want your heart to be in something, invest in it. If you want your heart to be in heavily, invest heavily. That's the way our hearts work. So this particular giving principle is one reason why here at New Life we ask our ministry partners, all 800 and whatever it says on the back of your worship folder, 40-something, I think. We ask all of them every year to revisit their giving plan. And they're giving commitment. Every year, every January, we challenge each other to ask ourselves, what does the Lord desire for me this year in this area of giving? What would it mean for me to excel, as Paul wrote, to become excellent in generosity? What level of investment in the kingdom of God is Jesus calling me to make for 2017? We believe and teach that it's our regular, ongoing giving that that goes to God's work through the local church here. We call this grace giving. That's what the New Testament calls it, actually. That's our regular, ongoing giving that supports all of our staff here, all of our ministries, all of our missions around the world, and enables them to continue week in, week out. That's our regular grace giving. And then beyond that, Many of us give what is called an offering, which is a gift amount over and above our regular giving. This year, those offerings are going towards underwriting the startup costs for our next campus, New Life East. Underwrite the startup costs and the first year of operations for that campus that I told you about a couple of weeks ago. We're excited about what God is going to do out east in those areas of Pataskala and Blacklick and Reynoldsburg and Summit Station, out in that area. We're excited about it, and it's going to take a huge team effort to make sure that that ministry is fully funded and ready to go when it's time to launch it. 
So what I'm saying is that all-in giving is thought out, it's prayed over, it's planned, it's proportionate to how God has blessed you. And if you're a ministry partner of New Life Church, I'm calling upon you these next two weeks to once again consider what the Lord might have you do in this important area. And then be ready to communicate those plans to our stewardship folks through making a pledge for 2017, as we do every year. We've done it for 31 years. We're continuing that this year. So in this series, this is the second of our three all-in commitments that I'm challenging us with. Being more faithful in generous giving to God's work in 2017. Okay? Two more characteristics of all-in generosity. Number five, sacrificial and worshipful. Sacrificial and worshipful. Let's go back to those Macedonian churches. I think there's more to learn from them. 2 Corinthians 8, 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Wow, it says they gave beyond their means. We call that sacrificial giving. It means they gave their lunch money. It means they went without in order to be able to give. I believe this is when you know that you're truly all in with Christ. Your giving is affecting your lifestyle. I know people in this church who drive older cars so that they can give more, who live in older homes or who downsize to a smaller place so that they can give more away, free up more funds for, for generosity. I know people who forego the bigger this or the shinier that or the latest model this so that they can give more away to the causes that matter most to their hearts. Now, they usually don't talk about it a lot. They usually don't draw attention to themselves. They just live it. And yeah, their neighbors are kind of perplexed because it's like you know, Bill and Mary seem to be marching to the beat of a different drummer. <laughs> but Bill and Mary are okay with that. that. For them, life is not about keeping up with the Joneses. That just doesn't matter much to them. What matters more to them are God and God's cause and people, the things that will last forever. And they want to invest as much as they can in those things. And so hearing this, I feel prompted to ask myself a question today and you. Are you giving at such a level that you feel it? Steve, are you giving at such a level that you feel it? Could you truthfully say, we're foregoing this, we're postponing that, we're giving up this thing in order to give more sacrificially to God's work or to bless a needy family or to sponsor a child overseas so that they can have food and shelter and education? All-in people like these Macedonian Christians could say that and it spoke volumes about the place that God had in their hearts. And of course, they'd already given their hearts over to God. That's what it says. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. What do we call that? 
Worship. That's worship, right? That's giving yourself to God, then giving your stuff to God. And that's the sequence the Lord prefers and what He's really after all this. He wants you, not your wallet. And you know what? He doesn't just want a tithe of you, 10% of your heart. You know that old hymn, I Surrender All? You know that hymn? Well, uh, we used to have a church member here who went around singing a modified version of it, kind of tongue-in-cheek. More than once, I would see him walking around in the lobby, kind of smirking and singing, I surrender one-tenth, I surrender one-tenth, one-tenth to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender (laughs) one-tenth. I think he understood what God is really after. He doesn't want just a part of you or me. He wants all of us, right? Body, soul, spirit, heart, mind, strength, all of me. My tithe or my regular gift to the Lord was meant to be a first fruits offering, a statement that he's first, that my treasure is not my treasure. Jesus is my treasure. And it's a concrete material way to demonstrate that. It's a, it's a priority statement, isn't it? You're first. You're first in my life. So we see all-in generosity is worshipful as well as sacrificial. And finally, point number six, it's Christ-like. It's Christ-like. Love this passage, 2 Corinthians 8, beginning with verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Talking about generosity. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And so as with every virtue, the supreme standard of excellence in this area of generosity was set by none other than who? Jesus Christ himself. And I know that in this series, I've held up some other people, haven't I, as examples to follow. But as some of you have pointed out to me, each of those people were flawed. Each of those people had issues and character stuff going on. And so I want you to know that none of them hold a candle to Jesus Christ in his infinite perfections. I'm grateful for flesh and blood examples to look up to and emulate, and I need them, but all of them are imperfect, all of them are flawed compared to the character and sacrifice and commitment of Jesus. They're not in the same league as our Lord. I mean, just think about it says, though he was rich, oh my. I mean, have you ever just stopped and thought about the glorious wealth of Jesus Christ living in heaven, regal in majesty, dwelling in the eternal glories of his heavenly home, worshipped by angels day and night, lavished constantly with honor and praise and love, every whim of his carried out like that instantaneously in heaven. Though he was rich, richer than any of us could imagine, yet 
it says, for your sake he became poor. Talk about a change in lifestyle. Talk about lowering your standard of living in order to bless other people. From enjoying his glorious home up there to down here having not a place to lay his head. From having immeasurable wealth in heaven to being born in a stable in a little backwater village to a peasant family. From being worshipped by millions and millions of angels in heaven to being mocked and having his beard plucked out by arrogant human beings down here on the earth. From wearing a kingly crown to having a crown of thorns mashed into his skull. From up there daily donning the royal robes of deity to having his one last garment ripped off his bloodied back again and again. From radiating pure holiness to wearing the dark stains of the sins of all of humanity hanging on a cross. And why? What does it say? For your sake. Listen, his generosity was for you and for me. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich Filthy rich in Christ, swimming in spiritual blessings, elevated to regal status, reigning in this life, in this life, and reigning with Christ in eternity forever, forgiven of all sins, free as the wind, adopted into the royal family, the very family of God. What can we say to these things? We could never in a thousand lifetimes get remotely near Jesus' level of generosity, that's for sure. So what can we do? Simply this, allow the life of Jesus in us to come out, to be expressed. For the same Spirit of God who lived within Jesus lives inside me lives inside you if by faith you have received him into your life as your Savior and your Lord. And while we will never be called to die on a cross for other people like he did, we are called by him to give our lives away every day, right? In big ways, more often in little ways open our hands and our hearts to spread his love to other people, to support our brothers and sisters in the local body of Christ that we belong to, to advance his kingdom on this earth until he returns. And so I close with those wonderful words of grace from the lips of Jesus himself. Freely, freely you have received, freely give. Will you pray with me? And I praise you, Heavenly Father, for having such a generous heart that you would part ways with your Son and send him to us that we might be saved. And I thank you, Jesus Christ, for letting go of heaven's glories and coming here and living the life we could never live 
and then dying in our place for our salvation and forgiveness. We praise you for rising from the grave in power and ascending back to heaven and sending your spirit into our hearts that we might live this life that you've given us. I pray, oh, I pray that your people would take this to heart. Cause us to be radically generous people in your name. I pray. Amen.